0: We're one game away from going to the conference finals. I like our chances. Uh, I feel like we have the right mindset. I feel like we have the right team, the right coaching staff, the right group of guys, and we're approaching this the, the, the same way we've approached all the other games. This is a must win. I approach every game the same. Playoffs, regular season, my mentality doesn't change. I know my body. I know my mentality, how I prepare, and I just trust my work, man. I put a lot of time into this game, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of film study, a lot of treatment, sleep dieting the right way so that I can trust that I've done everything in my power to prepare. We gotta come out aggressive. We're gonna to have to create our own energy playing on the road. So I think that starts at the defensive end and with communication. This is it. Win in advance, lose, and your summer starts. Welcome to the Francisco Rodriguez episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 57. Uh, Currently in Portland, Oregon, just wrapped up a a big win at home over the Denver Nuggets in Game (laughs) 6. And I'm looking forward to to playing Game 7 on Sunday against the Denver Nuggets. We're not sure what time the game will be. I would imagine the uh, networks are waiting to see what happens with the Rockets uh, Warriors series tonight. If the Rockets win, they would have a Game 7 on Sunday and would probably get the primetime slot because... You know, the NBA probably wants that to happen. Uh, um, without further ado, let's welcome Jordan Schultz to the Pull-Up Pod, as always. Jordan, did you watch the game last night? Did you watch the four-overtime game a few, I don't know, four or five nights ago? How's your sleep cycle been?
1: Well, my, my sleep cycle's probably been similar to yours because I basically, uh, except three hours later, because I stay up for all the games. Um, I watched, not only did I watch the 4-O-T game, but... I, I can have a buddy attest to this. With about seven, eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, I, I jokingly said, "This game's going to quadruple overtime. Book it." And he was like, "All right, well, you you know, I, he's like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard." And I was like, "I was like, it probably is, but anyways, I I am so jacked up because that game was incredible. But so much has happened since that game. So uh, obviously, you guys drop game four at home." Then, then game five just gets away and never really you never get back in it and obviously you didn't play the fourth quarter game six was I, I think you could we could say game six was the best all-around game that you guys have played in this series i don't know maybe game two but game six uh or maybe game three but game six was really good um uh, because because of just how locked in you and dame were and obviously uh, Rodney was terrific as well
0: yeah, I think game six was a great game for us um, based on how we had played previously, uh, especially looking at game five. Obviously, that got away from us. Um, we didn't defend well. We didn't get back in transition offensively. We were poor. We shot the ball uh, as bad as I've seen us shoot in the last month and a half. So it was nice to kind of bounce back. I think that was as close to a complete game as we've played since the Oklahoma um Oklahoma uh, series, I think we played game three. Yeah, game five was extremely well. And game three uh, in the Oklahoma uh, City series was pretty good for us as well. I think that from an offensive and defensive standpoint, we finally put some things together. Obviously, we hit 15 threes as a team. Rodney Hood was great off the bench. Zach Collins was tremendous. ET had seven rebounds and seven assists. Um, Dame was great. I was pretty efficient. I think that, you know, our ability to... You know, defend, get back in transition, withstand some of their runs. Uh, really, really helped us uh, come away with the win, especially at home in front of our fans. I know they were excited. Game started off, you know, pretty slow. I started off 0 for 3. Dame started off 0 for 2 or 0 for 3. And uh, then we, we figured out a way to kind of battle back, go on a run, and, and change the game.
1: Well, it was it was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, game 2 was a lot of fun, the four-overtime game. but But this game, like you said, very complete effort. You have three guys that really lit it up offensively. You mentioned Zach. I mean, Zach's a tough dude, and I think people forget, uh, or you know, they look at him and they think because his his hair is all gelled up and you know he's kind of like this pretty boy that he's not a banger. But I loved how he got into it after Kanner and Nurk got into it in Game uh, Five. He he stepped up and obviously said had some words for for Jokic, and then again in Game Six, he's just not somebody that backs down for a young dude that hasn't had a lot of experience in this league Zach has has played well but also he's really a tough dude that 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 kind of enjoys that that physical game I think.
0: Yeah, I mean he's a tough-minded man. Obviously he's only 21 years old. His dad joked that he was, you know, preparing for prom 3 summers ago and now he's playing in the uh NBA playing in the semifinals with a chance to go to the conference finals, just the, the turnaround he's made, the, the growth he showed, you know, defensively, being able to pick up schemes, being able to contest at the rim without fouling, you know, having to guard versatile players like Paul Millsap, having to guard the Joker, getting switched on guys like Jamal Murray and Gary Harris. Um, he has a knack for making the right plays and then offensively he's polished, he's skilled, he can stretch, he can stretch the floor, knock down threes. He's got a mid-range jumper, his, his jump hook has, has evolved. and. Um, he's he's playing the best basketball of his young career. You know, look at last night. He plays 29 minutes off the bench. Gets five blocks. He's plus 15. Five for five from the line, and it has that credibility to where you have to, you have to to kind of be honest yeah, with it him it. at the three point yeah. line. You know, you have to close out. Yep, you have to respect it. And I think you know, that's also played a factor in his ability to, to manipulate a game.
1: I love how you and Dame have have both put your uh, stamp on this series, Dame. Um, you know, l- last night in game in game five, uh, I'm sorry, game six, Dame did some things that I I didn't feel, I didn't think he was able to accomplish consistently throughout the series leading into last night. In other words, you know, some of the splits, uh, the step back, he he just looked more comfortable and maybe he had a little more lift. And some of the two man game with the bigs, he he just looked that that was to me the best he looked in this series. And the, the the most decisive he was, and then you see, you know, you you go for thirty, but it was it was a smooth thirty. It was within the flow of the offense, and then I loved how you were able to work with 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 uh, you know the the, the the second unit. I mean, seeing you with the second unit, giving them that offensive punch that they needed, that was really good as well. I mean, that was a different.
0: Story, yeah, our second unit did a great job. Uh, I think they changed the game, and, and they've done a solid job this entire series of you know maintaining the leads or expanding upon leads. I think Rodney Hood's been great. I think he's averaging 16 17 a game this series. He had a career playoff high of 25, you know, went eight for 12 from the field, three or four from three. I'd like to see him go nine for nine from the line instead of six of nine, but you know, as flawless as it gets in terms of plus minus versatility, defense, offense, everything. And I think our bench unit, you know, one of the unsung heroes in that bench unit is Evan Turner, a guy who hasn't scored um, in this series, you know, gets seven rebounds, gets seven assists, only has one turnover. He's able to guard Paul Millsap. And, you know, that's that's an underrated, undervalued aspect of his game It's, it's his versatility. Millsap goes four for 15 from the field with a lot of those misses coming against Evan Turner. Um, Looking at, you know, the defense, we played on Jamal Murray. He goes seven for 20, starts off slow. Obviously, he still finishes with 24 points. Uh, But, you know, being able to kind of, you know, Make it difficult on those guys. I think that played a factor. The Joker is going to be the Joker. He, he gets you know 29 points on 15 shots, flirts with the triple double, but fouls out, and is a plus-minus of five. You know, minus five. I think this is the first or second time in this series. You know, they they've been a negative while he's been on the court. So, being able to to gain leads, being able to expand upon what we've done, you know, in in our past three wins will be important heading into Game Seven.
1: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, Collins with the five blocks. Plays, I think he played the whole fourth quarter. I got to double check that, but you know, and, and he was able to go up against all their bigs. I mean, especially Jokic and, and and Millsap. You mentioned Hood too, a little while ago. What what did you see? What have you seen in Rodney's game that has changed? Because you know, he he up until this point he hadn't had this type of consistent offensive success. So what is he doing differently against Denver?
0: I think he's finally getting comfortable. What people fail to realize is that he was a late-season acquisition. So being able to to get immersed in our culture, better understand our playbook, you know, better understand how he can be utilized uh, within our team and our concepts. You know, figuring out where he's going to find his shots, and then you know, having the confidence and understanding that look, Rod, we need you to be aggressive. We need you to attack. Now don't worry about missing shots. Don't worry about turning the ball over. Don't think, just go hoop, be yourself, you know, to kind of take it back to those Mississippi days. And I think he's done that. He's found his joy. He's found his love for the game again. And it's funny, people will say, well, you're a millionaire, you know what I'm saying? Your life is great. And you know, how do you lose your love or your joy? You'd be surprised how quick people can lose, you know, their happiness, their joy when things aren't going well, when they start to doubt themselves, when they start to, you know, have poor performance or or they're not playing or they have a bad situation to where it weighs on you. And I think that his situation in Cleveland wasn't the greatest for him. but I think it created a monster. It created someone who became more determined to prove people wrong. Someone who was more determined in the summertime with their workouts, their approach, understanding that another opportunity is going to come. As he said before, he didn't know when, but you have to kind of protect your dream, and he's done that. He's protected his dream. He's worked on his game, he's been positive. We've kind of We've kind of, you know, gave him that positive reinforcement, you know, allowing him to be himself, be aggressive, understanding that, hey, you can take big shots, you can make big shots, you can really affect the series. And he's done that now. I think that it doesn't really matter who you put on him because the confidence is already there. He's hit, essentially hit a game winner in one series, um, you know, in that four overtime four overtime game. He hit some big shots tonight and now he feels like he has a mismatch, you know, regardless of who's covering him.
1: He had 30 points on 22 possessions Against uh, Will Barton in Game Six, uh, um, uh, I'm sorry, Portland had twenty had thirty points. Portland had thirty points on twenty two possessions, on which Barton guarded Hood in Game Six. So he he was able to get to his spots, um, and it just goes to show you what what basketball is to so many people, and and how the opportunities can come in in so many different ways. You know, Rodney Hood going from Mississippi State to Duke to Cleveland. Um, you know, you know, not not fitting in with LeBron at all uh, after after being traded from Utah, then coming to Portland, and now he's he's arguably you know the third or fourth most important player on your team, Zach Collins. You know, when you guys traded or when you guys signed in his canner, you know, I I don't think it was I think it was an insurance policy for for Nurk, but but all of a sudden you know six weeks later Nurk gets hurt and now Collins is able to come in and, and play this type of minutes that he hasn't played all year. So I don't, but basketball has a way of, uh, like you said, allowing and rewarding patience if you continue to put the work in and, and obviously, you know, game seven is going to be just an absolute, uh, fight to the end because both these teams have played really hard, but is there anything see for you that you can look at, um, and do, I guess what can you take away from game six that works so well and then implement that into game seven?
0: I think it's just our aggressiveness. You know, we got to come out aggressive, we're going to have to create our own energy playing on the road. So I think that starts at the defensive end and with communication, you know, making sure we're talking to each other, making sure we're sprinting back on the shot, making sure we're boxing out and kind of preventing those second, third chance opportunities. Obviously, you're going to give up offensive rebounds, but we can't have those possessions where they get three, four chances at, at scoring. It's it's tough enough as it is in the NBA to stop someone from scoring one time. You give them two chances, you give them three chances, that's when you get to kick out threes. That's when it becomes more demoralizing, you know, possession by possession when you, you have to work so hard. And guard another 14 seconds, another 14 seconds, and I think you know for us the biggest thing is understanding what we've been able to accomplish up to this point. You know we've been doubted, a lot of things haven't gone our way. We've had injuries, we've had you know the media doubt us, we have the media doubt our backcourt, and now we're we're one game away from going to the conference finals. Um, If you would have told me that we'd have you know to win a game on the road to go to the conference finals before the season started, I would have told you I like our chances. Uh, I feel like we have. The right mindset. I feel like we have the right team, the right coaching staff, the right group of guys, and we're approaching this the the same way we've approached all the other games. This is a must win, and um, we have to really bring our hard hats to the table and understand that this is it. Win in advance, lose, and your summer starts. It was funny. I was watching Game Six last night, and uh,
1: the more I saw that lineup, you mentioned Et, you know, as a backup point, but he was, you know, he was basically playing the four. For you guys it was it was a lineup that was really interesting it was it was you seth a uh, hood and then turner at the four and zach at the five and i was saying i was like oh this is the this is the terry stotts you know death lineup 2.0 and i was texting with <laughs> i was i was texting with uh some of my boys about it and they were, at first they were like haha and then they were like oh yeah this lineup is nasty and that's the lineup I mean that's kind of the lineup that won you guys the game or or, you know like the second quarter you had that great spurt and it's just ironic like I don't know who who would have thought that Evan Turner your backup point playing the four and Zach playing the five it's just it just you, you guys are dynamic and versatile but again it just
0: goes to show you with basketball like any given night man yeah the game is continuing to evolve I think that's the biggest thing we've learned and seen and the more versatile you are as a player, in terms of size and ability to play multiple positions, ability to dribble, shoot, pass, uh, the more valuable valuable you are. And you've seen the Warriors play small. You've seen the Rockets play small. You've seen a lot of teams uh, go with versatile six, 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 seven guys who can do a little bit of everything. And I think what's so special about ET is that you know he's six seven ish, but as Charles Barkley would say, you know he's a load down there. Uh, some some guys don't have big backside, Some guys can't box out. Some guys don't have that lower uh, body strength, but E.T. has that. You know, he can he can get down and dirty. He can box out. He can rebound. And what what makes him so special is that he can rebound and initiate offense in a sense of, you know, kind of similar to what Draymond's been able to do with the Warriors. You know, rebound and start the offense, start the break, so then we can get out and run the lanes. And, you know, with his court vision and ability to pass over, the, over top of the defenses, uh, it makes us a very versatile team. And I think that you know, having shooters around him like Seth, like Rodney, like myself, like Zach Collins, uh, it provides us with ample spacing and ample opportunities to kind of attack certain angles. And as this as this series winds down to an end with Game 7 approaching, I, I look forward to, to seeing the chess match that's going to happen between both coaches. Figuring out matchups, figuring out minutes, figuring out rotations. You know, how long do you go with the bench? How long do you go with the starters? Uh, what type of play calls are you calling down the stretch of games? ATOs, things of that nature, because at this point, we know each other's plays. We know each other's ATOs. We know tendencies. We know which ways certain guys like to drive, uh, late shot clock uh, tendencies. So now it's going to be about execution, how hard you play, who can stay out of foul trouble, and who's in the best shape.
1: Nick, Nick Nolte in the movie Blue Chips 25 years ago to this uh, year, uh, I, think, I think it's one of the real underrated basketball movies. It's not a very good movie, but the basketball scenes are excellent. There's a scene where he says, I'll go give Bobby Knight – you know, every play doesn't matter. It's all about how you execute. You, know, you just reminded me of that, CJ. It's all about how you execute. Also, it's all about <laughs> um, <laughs> Denver does Denver does do some things offensively that are really tough to deal with. I mean, the the, the two man action with with Murray and Jokic, with either one of them playmaking. I mean, you, you guys have have obviously thrown a, a lot of different looks at that, but they, when they're rolling. It's really tough because of how creative uh, Jokic is and how you know crafty uh, Murray can be. I wonder in Game Six what what worked for you guys to some uh, at least thwart or slow some of their uh, two man action.
0: Well, I mean, if you look at the game and the flow of it, they did a tremendous job of putting the ball in the best players' hands. I think heading into this heading into this game tonight. Joker, Joker was leading the NBA in touches uh, per game. I think he was at 122, 124 by far, touches, by far. touches per game. Yeah. Right. So that right there puts you in the best position to succeed when the best player on your team is touching the ball the most. So he's kind of facilitating the offense. He's getting a feel uh, of the game, the pace of the game. And even when he's not shooting, he feels involved in the game. You know, So he's more empowered to pass, make the right plays, because he's literally touching the ball uh, multiple times per possession. I think... It's already hard to to guard him as it is. And now he's touching the ball multiple times per possession. He's got vision. He can initiate a pick and roll. He can be the screener in the pick and roll, but also has the vision to hit the weak side. So he's just a handful to guard. And then he has that European finesse flavor to where he has an ability to draw fouls. You know, he can, he can get you tangled up. He can get you off balance and go into your chest. He's got pump fakes. He's got pivots. He's got half hooks. He's got floaters. He's got mid range. He's got threes. So, you know, you're talking about a special young player who's, you know, showing his versatility in a game where you talk about how we guarded him. Well, he goes 10 for 15 from the field, has 12 rebounds, 10 defensive um, and 29 points. But you know, for us, it's, it's just making it as difficult as possible. We just got to make it difficult on him and Jamal, uh, make some of those other guys beat us, you know, the Tory Craigs of the world, uh, the uh, Malik Beasley's of the world, the Will Barton's of the world, and I uh, like our chances. Well, I was
1: saying, I, I guess I should have been more specific. It was more Murray for me because he had a really slow start, and it just seemed like with when they tried to run their two-man stuff that you were able to control it. And, the, and Murray never got – he never got a rhythm in that game. Like game five – the whole game, he was in a rhythm. Game six, he, he never found it.
0: Yeah, I think this just a credit to our, our guys. You know, our guys have been locked in. Uh, we've tried to make some adjustments uh, each game, each um, each possession, understanding that these are, these are quality players. These are quality players who are going to make shots, and it's a make-or-miss league. Uh, you can play good defense on a guy, and, and he can make a shot. Sometimes you can play poor defense, and he can miss, but it's just about trying to make it as difficult as possible each possession, and I think, Last night, we did a better job of making it difficult, and we have to do that in Game 7. Trying
1: to stream together, you know, three, four stops, you know, three, four tough shots. They might make one, but consistently get the—and then on offense, try to get good looks because, you know, obviously guys are going to miss shots, but the more good looks, better percentages, I mean, that's—it's pretty, pretty much—it's it's really simple, but it's very hard to actually go out and
0: do yeah, it's, it's extremely hard. It's easier said than done. People watch the game and say, you know, well, why are they giving up offensive rebounds? You think we're trying to let them get offensive rebounds and get more possessions? <laughs> like, we are trying. Like, everyone is trying. And the, the funny part is that people talk about the rebounding disparity. Uh, we, we've been right there with them on offensive rebounds, on second-chance points. So we both have to do a better job of preventing second-chance points. But I think it's so glaring when there's possessions where – they get four chances at scoring. And then you kind of remember that position, like, wow, they just got four offensive rebounds. And then we do a good job on a couple possessions and then they get one offensive rebound and it kind of stands out. But, you know, we, we, we just have to tighten up. And I think easy points will be a premium. They went to the line 32 times and they shot 93.8%. So they made 30 out of 32. We went to the line 30 times and shot 22 of 30. So not leaving points on the board, you know, not turning the ball over. We only had nine turnovers. I think all of those things will be a factor. Uh, in a game where it's, it's, everything is magnified. There's there's the same amount of possessions, but this is a chance to either advance or be eliminated. So you have to really be locked in each possession. More show in a minute. But first, support for Pull Up with CJ McCollum comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website. Choose a template you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. Over 140 million people chose Wix to create their website. Create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash pull up to get 10% off. Okay, back to the show.
1: Two quick notes uh, on game seven before we move on to the other series. Is there, is there anything that you do differently at all, See, approaching game seven? Or are you exactly the same?
0: Oh, man, I approach every game the same playoffs regular season my mentality doesn't change I know what I need to do to get myself ready as i've said you know historically i know my body i know my mentality how i prepare um, and i just trust my work man i put a lot of time into this game a lot of sacrifice a lot of film study a lot of treatment sleep dieting the right way so that i can trust that i've done everything in my power to prepare and then it's just it's just up to my body to go react and do what it does and you know, whether we play at one o'clock or seven o'clock or eight o'clock, it doesn't matter. I'll get the same amount of hours of sleep I normally get. I watch my TV shows like I normally do. I'll study film. I'll FaceTime my fiance, and I'll do all the things I normally do because uh, at the end of the day, it's just a game. Uh, obviously, our season's on the line. Their season's on the line. There'll be pressure. Uh, there'll be intensity. There'll be nerves and anxiety from some players on the team. But for me, I know who I am. I know what I've done to, to put myself in this position. I got it out the mud, man. I went to I went to a small university where no one has ever gone to the NBA before. So for me, this is just another game to where I get to show the world who I am and what what a lot of people already know. Uh, more people are starting to find out. Well, you
1: win enough games, you're going to get on prime time regardless. So I, I know, <laughs> I know that. Uh, also, we should we should include the fact that you know you're you're very kind to typically respond to my. To my uh, Game of Thrones or wine text messages,
0: whatever I bother
1: <laughs> you. I, I'm just trying. I, I like to, I like to distract you when it when uh when you got enough on your plate. You know, I'll send you a picture of the ottoman that you ruined or something like that.
0: You know, <laughs> man, I can't wait to come to New York so I can so I can just show up at the house with a new ottoman. <laughs> well, well, we
1: we'll, can we can cross that bridge after the NBA finals when uh when hopefully for for all Blazer fans and. CJ and and Rip City that you you know you're you're celebrating. Um last question in this series, has there been any chatter uh obviously you know Nurk got into it with I'm sorry, uh, Jokic got into it with uh with Zach Collins and um Canner, but has there been any other chatter uh at all or no?
0: I mean, it's a playoff series to where both teams are competitive, both teams want to advance to the conference finals. And you want to win. So there's going to be chatter. There's going to be, you know, a little bit of extra shoving after possessions because this game this game means so much to us, man. So, I mean, there's definitely been a lot of things being said back and forth from benches and things of that nature, but uh, it's normal. It's normal to me. That's the way the game should be played. If, if, if you care about the game, you're going to take hard fouls. If you care about the game... Somebody say something to you, you're going to say something back unless you're just afraid, and I ain't built like that, and I think we got a lot of guys who who are going to stick up for themselves, and sometimes I think it's appropriate to react and respond, and sometimes I think it's appropriate that you don't say anything, and, and in this sense, I think some talking will happen, some pushes will happen, whatever, but as long as it's clean and nothing crazy, I don't mind it. More, uh, more, more chit-chat in this series or OKC? <laughs> OKC okay, <see>, for sure. <laughs> there it is. For sure. There for it is. Sure. No, I figured. Close.
1: Yeah, I figured. I mean, Russ alone is chatterbox uh in that series through five games. But it does see I you know, you can see I mean, even even from 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 afar, you can see guys chirping, but it it is nothing egregious. I mean, like you said, just competitive stuff which which is always uh, you know, more fun to watch. Um okay, Bucks Celtics, Kyrie, obviously the topic of discussion, has he has he not played his final game with the Celtics. I don't know how much of the series you were able to watch, but um, what did you make of it? And and really with Kyrie, what do you think went wrong? I was
0: able to watch a lot of this series, and honestly, I was surprised at how it ended. Not that the Bucs weren't good enough to beat them. I think the Bucs are a quality team, and they outplayed them. But I was just surprised at how much Kyrie struggled. Historically, he's been great in the playoffs. He's been efficient. He's been effective. And in closeout games, he's been essentially flawless, you know, looking looking historically back on how he played against the Warriors, how he's played against Eastern Conference teams in, in closeout games. And when they're facing elimination, I was just surprised that he struggled so much. I think that they had a lot of other issues going on outside of, you know, what we've seen during the games, you know, locker room stuff, obviously. Uh, it was a tough year for a lot of those players having to adjust their roles, you know, based on, you know, how successful they were without Kyrie last year to kind of integrate him back in. Gordon Hayward was coming off a, an injury to where he was trying to find his rhythm. So I think there's just a lot of things that factored in. Obviously, Marcus Smart being hurt, you know, for a little while, changed some things up for them as well. But I think we have seen him play his last game in Boston. Uh, I would be extremely surprised if he if he came back to Boston uh, based on the circumstances, what's what's happened, the body language, um, everything uh, that I was able to kind of notice. I'm sure a lot of people, you know, seen the same things. Just just feels like... uh a change of scenery is needed for, for both parties involved, and I'm sure that's going to happen.
1: Yeah, I don't think um, I've seen a stranger fall from grace for a superstar in a city. When he got there, uh, and really all throughout last year until he got hurt, and then for part of this season, at least at the beginning, you know, he was he was really beloved by the fans. And it, it slowly started to disintegrate. I think it's no coincidence that we've seen some stunted growth from Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Um I think Terry Rozier, fellow Ohio guy like, like yourself. I mean, he he goes out and says nobody, and he he said it in different different words, but nobody has sacrificed more than me. Um, And obviously, there is a lot of drama in that locker room. There's a lot of vitriol in that locker room. I don't know how they're gonna try and fix it, but like you, I don't think Kyrie returns. In fact, I'd be stunned if he did. And and frankly, I don't think he should, uh, both for him and for the Celtics. And I think it shows. It goes to show you how hard it is to be the alpha dog because there's a lot of young guys in that locker room and Kyrie had never had the opportunity to be the unquestioned leader. I mean, even he, even though he made that great shot for Cleveland to beat Golden State, that was still LeBron's team. Uh, this was his team and it didn't go right. as, as we all had, uh,
0: hoped for. I just think from a leadership standpoint, he could have handled some things better. Obviously, I'm not around their team, but I just think that based on some of the discussions that the players had, With the media, I think they should have been discussed internally. And I think that kind of affected their team, um, their approach, everything. But I'd also like to point out, I I think this is a great opportunity for Kyrie to, to get better. He hasn't had a lot of times on the court where he struggled or failed from a consistency standpoint, from an efficiency standpoint, he's had injuries. He's had a lot of things, you know, thrown his way. He's had losing, you know, in Cleveland, but historically when he's played in the playoffs, he's been great. So I think that's going to really drive him this summer. I think this failure may be the best thing that's happened to him, you know, based on his performance, because this is when you're going to really see what he's made of. And I'm sure he's going to work extremely hard this summer. He's going to tighten a lot of things up and he's going to come back a a much better player. But I also think that This was an ideal situation, although they would like to win a championship. But for Jason Tatum to struggle, you know, he had some games at home or on the road where he was, you know, averaging four and a half, five points a game. Um, he wasn't efficient. He wasn't effective, you know, off the bounce. He wasn't making catch-and-shoot threes. I think what stood out to me was how great Jalen Brown was. And he was aggressive throughout. Um, he looked at it as an opportunity for him to solidify himself on a national stage. And I thought he was as consistent as anyone on that team. Him and Morris were the most consistent players in the playoffs for that team. And I think this leads them to a summer of working hard. You, you remember both those guys— you know, promised a finals trip. Jason Tatum said they were going to the finals in February. And then and then Jalen Brown co-signed on it. And I think that put a lot of pressure on that team. And now you have Terry Rozier, who's a starting caliber point guard in this league, who said he sacrificed, Gordon Hayward sacrificed, Jalen Brown sacrificed. He was moved to the bench. Jason Tatum sacrificed. And then you had Kyrie in the middle of this whirlwind of I'm coming back to Boston uh, to I don't owe this, I don't owe these people shit. So there was a 360 of emotions and actions that went, that went through this whole organization. And now I think that this is probably the best thing that could happen to them because now they're battle-tested and they'll be ready for whatever next season.
1: CJ, I agree about Jalen Brown. I thought he was great. I thought he was their best player in the Milwaukee series. He wasn't afraid of the moment, consistently attacked. Um, but you, you talk about guys not feeling like they've been able to improve or feeling like they have to sacrifice. Doesn't that happen... I mean, how often does that happen in a locker room where where guys feel like uh, you know I want more looks? But in this case, perhaps it just felt wor- like worse than normal. I mean, is this is this common?
0: I think it's very common. You see, players get a taste of success. You're talking about a young core group of guys who went to the conference finals without Kyrie, Terry Rozier. Lit the Milwaukee Bucks up last year. He wore, he didn't know who Bledsoe was, you know, quote unquote. He wore the Drew Bledsoe jersey into a game. You're talking he he was destroying, destroying Eric Bledsoe. So to go from dominating a playoff series collectively, Jason Tatum was great. They were they were saying he's a top 15 player in the NBA. Jalen Brown was amazing. They were talking about how are we going to sign all these guys? The conversation last year was, man, it's going to be tough to sign all these guys when, when their extensions come. And how are we going to figure out how to play all these guys and implement Gordon Hayward? To adding Gordon Hayward, adding Kyrie and struggling, I think that it was a tough pill for them to swallow because they're looking at each other like we beat the same team last year without you. Now you're here and we're struggling. Their rhythms were off. Their touches changed. The dynamic of the offense changed because obviously Kyrie is a guy who can score off the bounce. So it's less passing, less ball movement, more isolation, more pick and roll with Al Horford and Kyrie. Um, A lot of things changed and it affected their mentalities. It affected their rhythms. It affected how they played defensively. And it's hard to get a taste of success. That's like somebody you know, basically giving you your own show, right? They give you your own show on ESPN. uh, Your co-host goes out and it's just you and you're you're killing it. You're crushing it. Ratings are up. Everything's going well. And then your co-host comes back and your co-host kind of takes over and you've been running the show yourself for what, two months and everything was going great. Now it's just a little different. There's a, a different type of dynamic that changes. And I think that you know, since the Celtics had a taste of so much success, they had a big summer of, you know, Jason Tatum talking about he wanted to be an all-star this season. There was just a lot of things that were said and that happened to them. And then it was just a down downward spiral. And I think that it all happened because of the taste of success they got without Kyrie and Gordon. Once they got that taste of success, I knew nothing would be the same because in their minds, they're capable of playing 35 minutes a night being the number one option. And leading a team to the finals because they were one game away from going to the finals. Yeah. It
1: also goes to show you the growth on the other side of Milwaukee because even though it is the same team, it's not. I mean, you know, they, obviously they have Brooke Lopez and, and, and No Jabari, and they added your boy Pat, who's been really good, Connaughton. But it's still the same core players Giannis, Middleton, Bled, Brogdon, uh, who really didn't even play in the series. And yet they're the team that took. Uh, step two, three steps forward. I mean, obviously, new head coach, but that that shows you. And I've said this a couple times this week, and over the last, really over the last two weeks, it shows you what a team that knows its identity can be. I would argue that Portland is in the similar boat. You know your identity, you and Dame especially. Milwaukee knows where its bread is buttered. Giannis is the guy. He's the unquestioned superstar. There are some really good players around him, but he's the guy. I think in Boston with Tatum and Brown and Terry, they a lot of times they were saying, "Well, I was the guy last year when Kyrie was out, and we and we won, we went to the conference finals, right. and 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 we beat this exactly. team." So it's uh, you know, there's a lot of egos involved. There's also um, an opportunity now, to your point, CJ, for Kyrie to really challenge himself and get better.
0: Yeah, I think I think you were. You hit it right on the head, man, (laughs) looking at the growth of the Milwaukee Bucks, looking at how Giannis is the unquestioned leader, how there's no confusion as to who should take a shot down the stretch. It's up to him to empower others and give them the ball. Whereas, like you said before, with the Boston Celtics, a lot of other guys were heroes last year. A lot of other guys had opportunities to be the man, to have the offense centered around them. So it's just an interesting dynamic, and one, I'm sure they look forward to figuring out And You know, word on the street is that, you know, Kyrie will be staying in the Eastern Conference, um, but he will no longer be with the Boston Celtics.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of uh, free agency chatter we'll be able to unpack in the coming months. Uh, There's there's no question about that.
0: More show in a minute. But first, what's the one dish from your favorite restaurant that you can never recreate at home? What if someone brought it right to your door? DoorDash connects you to all of your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Just use the DoorDash app and choose what you want to eat, and your Dasher will bring it right to you, wherever you are. Not only is that burger place you love on DoorDash already, but over 310,000 other amazing restaurants are too. DoorDash connects you with door-to-door delivery in over 3,300 cities and all 50 states across the United States and Canada. Order from your local go-tos or choose your favorite chains like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code PULLUP. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code PULLUP. Again, that's promo code PULLUP for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Okay, back to the show.
1: Have you noticed at all, CJ, uh, this is changing the subject completely, the Game of Thrones um, Starbucks Cup, because we, we texted a little bit about it, but I know you want to bring it up, so I'm just wondering, what did you notice about it? Were you surprised? What, what, what do you
0: make of that? I thought it was dope, and you know what's funny? I just read an article the other day saying that Starbucks company is so large... And so well known across the world that people just automatically assumed it was Starbucks. And it hasn't been confirmed as to whether or not it was actually a Starbucks cup, which is hilarious because I assumed it was Starbucks right away. I couldn't really tell. It looked like a Starbucks cup, but I couldn't really tell. We all assumed it. The networks assumed it. Starbucks, you know, had kind of released a statement basically saying that, you know, they don't they don't really know what's going on with it. But, you know, it's funny that the the queen of dragons, you know, likes a latte every now and then, you know, (laughs) but. I think that that's just showing you the growth of the company that it's so large that people just automatically assume like that's Starbucks and the amount of attention it was able to generate. I think they said it, it generated you know over two billion dollars in, in potential revenue from the amount of people that watched Game of Thrones to the amount of people that discussed whether or not it was Starbucks and then they discussed what type of Starbucks coffee it was. I think it was just brilliant and shows you know the plus sides of building a great business you should have seen the flood
1: of notes that i got and uh I, I i we got a real kick out of it um the next morning i got i woke up with like i don't know 100 text messages maybe more and uh one of them was from from my dad and he he just sent me the article and he was like did you see this and i was like i was going to ask you the same question and we were both just like that. That's crazy because I don't even think it's the cup. I don't think it was a Starbucks cup. That that's the irony of the whole the
0: whole thing, right? And that just shows you the type of business uh, Starbucks has built. Like that, we we associate any type of cup with Starbucks. Like if you see a coffee cup, you assume it's Starbucks because it's what everybody drinks. It's what everybody likes, and that's the irony of this entire thing is that we just assumed we we had no idea, and then the rumors just started traveling so fast that. We just automatically started figuring out what she was drinking, and I hope it was a green tea latte. That's your go-to, right? Yes, sir. Green tea latte or a chai tea latte.
1: <laughs> we gotta get you on just straight black coffee.
0: Oh no, I'll never do that. I'll never you'll do be that, too man. The, I just, I just like a little like kick, a small one though. Like I don't want to get punched. I don't want to be punched by the coffee.
1: You know what I'm gonna do this summer? When uh, <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm going to make a drink for you and I'm going to be like this is a new uh, chai blend. It's going to be like a quadruple espresso.
0: I'll spit it I'll I'll know right away and be like this is disgusting. Yeah, yeah, you'll, and you'll be it like it this, this
1: this is, what is this garbage? What is this
0: sludge? Yeah, what is this? Um, what is this? This is not a latte. Where's my <laughs> I was gonna say where's my matcha? Is this organic? <laughs> we didn't talk about Kauai. We didn't dis- we didn't discuss how dominant Kauai has been. I know. I know. Well, what have you seen?
1: I mean, obviously, he's a great player, and we all know that. But what have you seen that's been most impressive?
0: I think the thing I've seen that's most impressive is his ability to score at every level efficiently. He can finish around the basket. He's got hooks, floaters, strong finishes at the rim. He's got mid-range. He has fadeaways. He has Kobe-like footwork, being able to kind of pivot and go over either shoulder. And he has the ability to shoot threes, not just catch and shoot, but off the dribble. And he's doing it at like a 55, 60% clip, man, which is extremely impressive uh, to say the least while going out there and defending at a high level and being an all NBA caliber defender. So I'm just impressed with his overall efficiency, his ability to do everything. And the transformation he's made from when he first got into the league to now is crazy. And which is why I think that the the Raptors will probably win game seven on his back alone because he's virtually unstoppable. when he's when he gets going, and he's gotten going every in every game this series, he's he's unstoppable. So if he gets any type of contributions from his supporting cast, Kyle Lowry, Siakam, you know, Danny Green, I think that it's it's a foregone conclusion that they'll be advancing to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think it's a credit to him how well he's played that people are are comparing him to Kobe, they're comparing him to Michael, because who else who else is scoring 35 per game in this series? You know, at the guard position, at the wing position, like. Those are the only players that have did it. So it it sucks that we have to always compare generation to generation, but you look at what he's doing and it is Kobe-esque. It is Jordan-esque. And uh, the old heads hate to say it and hate to admit it because how dare you compare someone to Jordan or Kobe? We're not comparing their careers or body of work. We're comparing what they're doing right now and how how he's doing it right now, you know, based on this one series alone, not game winners and, and everything that goes into it, just this series and the type of moves he's making and how he's scoring.
1: Everything about him is uh, is special. Uh, defensively, his his handle, the way he breaks a de- down a defense, the way he can play make, his shooting, his clutch shot making, uh, how efficient he is. Yeah, I mean, you, it's just his rebounding. You can you can pick anything. You know, when he came in the league, to your point, he shot one point seven threes a game as a rookie. Uh, then three two point eight three. This year, he took five threes a game and shot. Over 37 percent from three, 27 points a game. He's been obviously better in the playoffs. Toronto, like their efficiency drops 50, 60 points, sometimes more, when their offensive rating when when Kawhi leaves the floor. So my my only thing with Toronto is like, are they balanced enough to uh, to, to to beat Milwaukee? Really, because I, I thought they would beat Philadelphia, but but you know assuming they, they weren't able to to close out Philly. To, to play with Milwaukee, to me, the key is to just have a ton of weapons, and I don't know if they have enough.
0: Yeah, I, it'll be tough to beat that Milwaukee team because of the depth they have. And you talk about one of LeBron's ex-teammates playing well in Rodney Hood. Look at what George Hill did to Kyrie and those Boston Celtics. He was efficient, he was effective. He picked up full court. He knocked down threes, he hit big shots. He carried the load when Giannis wasn't playing well. He carried the load when Chris Middleton wasn't playing well. And I think their bench with my guy, Pat, shout out to Patty Fastball, they've been tremendous. They've been able to extend leagues when Giannis was on the bench. They've been able to kind of change games. And I think that's one of the reasons why they'll be successful. They added shooters in in Miracic. They added shooters uh, from the bench and just kind of surrounded Giannis with a lot of different players who can impact the game. And, and now he just slashes, he pushes in transition, he finds the open man, and it opens up a lot of stuff for them. So it'll be hard to, to knock that team off, and I'm sure uh, whoever wins is, is looking forward to the challenge of, of having to guard him for 35 to 40 minutes.
1: W- one thing that stands out about both Giannis and Kawhi that they have in common is just how comfortable they are um, in their own skin as players. Like, th- they know... They know what they what they do best. They they don't deviate. Um, I mean, just an example of both of them, or at least Kawhi being able to make adjustments. Giannis made a ton of adjustments. I thought, um, uh, after game one, just attacking. But Kawhi got doubled a ton in game three. At seven turnovers, he just totally changed his approach. Got rid of the ball more. Started doing these little, you know, like escape dribbles. And then all of a sudden, the double wasn't bothering him. And, and that's been the case. Uh, that was certainly the case last night, and I would expect it to be the case in Game 7. i I'm just, Kawhi has been, I mean, obviously Durant's been incredible, Lillard's been incredible, Giannis, but you can make the argument that Kawhi's been, um, you know, the best two-way guy throughout the playoffs, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it would be hard not to argue that he's impacted the game. You know, 35 points a game, shooting 60%, which is insane. Guarding the, uh, arguably the, the second the third best player on the Sixers and Jimmy Butler and Ben Simmons and even Tobias Harris at times. I think he's he's shown that he is as elite as they come and he's only going to continue to get better. You know, talk about a guy who's still under 30 coming off of uh, a hip surgery that was, you know, considered to be career-altering uh, from a lot of different perspectives. Uh, an analysts and, and doctors.
1: What do you make of the Lakers? That's a that's a soap opera.
0: Yeah, I think it's hilarious. They're having a protest today. The protest, uh, I know. It's for- <laughs> which is which, which is extremely funny, but I, I think they're going about things the wrong way. And I like to talk about organizations, but um, just based on the stories that I've heard, um, trying to pick Ty Lue's assistants, having Kurt Rambis um, involved in the selection process, and then recommending Kurt Rambis as one of the elite assistants. I think that this is a, a sticky situation that has got to be rubbing LeBron the wrong way. Um, first the Magic stepping down, now this, uh, not hiring Ty Lue. Imagine what happens if they don't hire a coach he likes. Um, this could be... This could be a really ugly situation for that franchise and organization. And you're talking about a team that's trying to land free agents. They don't know who's running the organization. They don't know who the head coach is going to be. There's a lot of question marks that uh, they need to solve in the near future. Or not only is LeBron going to be unhappy, but you're going to have an unhappy fan base and a potential team in your city that lands more free agents than you. Could be sickening.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've talked about the Clippers are set up really, really well moving forward, whereas the Lakers are set up pretty poorly. I mean, you know, I, I've talked a lot about this, but I think it means more coming from a player of your caliber, CJ, how much it matters for potential free agents, especially marquee free agents. When they look at an organization, what direction are we going? What are we? The the, the Lakers are, are so rudderless and, and confused as to what they want to be and who they want to become. I mean, they have LeBron, they have this, you know, great, great player, but other than that they have nothing to really say this is who we can be Uh, they don't have a president they have a GM who's only been doing it for one year they have an owner in genie bus who fired a brother but doesn't really know what's going on Uh, and they have a fan base that demands excellence so it is a you said sticky I I would say it's borderline disastrous at this point and I don't see any way it's going to get better
0: yeah and I don't I don't know what they do from here you know figuring out who's going to Run the show is a good start. Figuring out who's going to be the coach is a good start. And then, you know, how to target certain free agents. But um, Laker land, uh, it's going to be interesting because you talk about one of those fan bases, like you said before, they don't play any games. They will boo you at home. They will cheer you at home as well. But when things aren't going their way as Laker fans... It's like it's like the East Coast. It's like some of those East Coast teams, man. They will turn on you in a hurry. And I think that the Lakers are on the cusp of losing a lot of fans and star players.
1: Yeah. And and when you consider where the Clippers are and where they're going, uh, there's a report that LeBron wants Tom Thibodeau. I have I don't know if that's true, um, but, you know, we'll have to <laughs> we'll monitor this. We'll, we'll be monitoring this moving forward. Um, CJ, I gotta tell you, today was really fun. I, I can't wait for
0: game seven. When are you when are you guys traveling? Uh I think we leave tomorrow morning. I actually gotta check. I'm about to go in and get some treatment right now. Steam room, stretch, massage. But I think we leave I think we leave Saturday morning. You know what's crazy, man? Sunday is Mother's Day, man. So shout out to my mom. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, shout out to all the mobs out there, um, grandmas, everyone out there who's made a difference in a lot of people's lives. Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. We could have three Game 7s, the final day of the Premier League, and Game of Thrones. So, nothing would make me happier than to have a, a great Mother's Day, win a Game 7, and see Cersei die in Game of Thrones.
1: <laughs> yes! And 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 who's going to kill her? It has to be Arya, and it has to be Arya with Jamie's face on.
0: Oh, man, that would be an epic ending. I think... Man, that would be so dope.
1: To me that's I, if the If that
0: happens, we'll have a wine segment on the next one because I would need some wine after seeing all that happen.
1: Maybe Grey Worm like orchestrates it, he's like the coach and then Arya does the does the deed.
0: Right, right. And lastly, since we're since we're on game of thrones, I have to bring this up before I go get treatment. I've been hearing that Tyrion is not a Lannister. What? I've been hearing... When did you hear that? That Tyrion is not a Lannister. In fact, you know what that makes him, right? If he's not a Lannister, you you know what the options are, right? A bastard. A bastard, but not just a bastard, a Targaryen, which means that he would be able to fly on the dragons, which means that the rumors are that there's going to be more dragons and that he, he could be orchestrating... The find of the dragons, just just things that I'm oh, hearing. Okay. Something this you is, may want to research.
1: What what dark internet portal did you go down to read this this theory? I
0: mean, it makes sense for him to be a Targaryen, honestly. It does,
1: but it's. I mean, <sighs> you're so sick. You probably spent just four saying. hours in some you know weird internet I chat spent, room I reading about this. I spent five
0: minutes. When we hang up. Take five minutes of your day to research what I just told you and let me know what you find because there has to be some truth to it, man. That's all I'll say. You, you're a, you're, you subscribe to the theory where there's smoke,
1: or fire. Uh, most of the time, yes. I agree. Okay. All right. Well, Tyrion, I mean, you know, he's, ha- he's had a hell of a run. If he, if he ends up being a Targaryen who can fly on dragons, the guy's going to be a, a real legend. He's a super legend. He'll be the new guy. I mean, I, I can't even wrap my head around this. I Okay, all right. I'm going to go research it, and I will let you know. But I'm very uh, hesitant to believe any of this. But I'll, okay, I'll give it a shot. I'm glad you got
0: that nice gym, man. I hope you enjoy your day, man. Shout out to your sister on having the baby. I wish you nothing but the best, man. Uh, looking forward to this game seven, man. Rip City, we appreciate all the support. Looking forward to trying to get this done on the road, man. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, radio.com, backslash Pull Up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to... Pull Up!